Hello and welcome. These are some sermons given by Monsignor Rosito from the years 1995 to the year 2016. Enjoy. Today is the birthday of our Blessed Mother. The Mass is in honor of our Blessed Lady. But the Gospel will be read at the end of Mass for the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, which we will now read um, at this point. The Epistle of St. Paul is taken from the letter uh, to the Galatians. Brethren, if we live by the Spirit, by the Spirit, let us also walk. Let us not become desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Brethren, even if a person is caught doing something wrong, you who are spiritual, instruct such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. <coughs> Bear one another's burdens, and so you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something, whereas he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let everyone test his own work. And so he will have glory in himself only, and not in comparison with another. For each one will bear his own burden. And let him who is instructed in the word share all good things with his teacher. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For what a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows in the flesh, from the flesh also will reap corruption. But he who sows in the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap life everlasting. And in doing good, let us not grow tired, for in due time we shall reap if we do not relax. Therefore, while we have time, let us do good to all men, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. And the Holy Gospel is taken from the Gospel according to St. Luke. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. At that time, Jesus went to a town called Naim, and his disciples and a large crowd went with him. As they drew near the gate of the town, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large gathering from the town was with her. And the Lord, seeing her, had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. And he went up and touched the stretcher, and the bearers stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to thee, Arise. And he who was dead sat up and began to speak, and he gave him to his mother. But fear seized upon all, and they began to glorify God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. So far are the words of this day's Holy Gospel. <coughs> Brethren, if we live by the Spirit... By the Spirit, let us also walk. Where it's taken from the epistle just read, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, Amen. My dear friends in Christ, the theological books that were written in the past were written in, you might say, the age of faith. The people who sinned against faith recognized, though, that they were sinning and they knew what the faith was. But today we have a further development of this departure from God in an apostasy that no longer knows the faith. And it seems that we need to reinforce 
the books of the past with a new understanding or a deeper understanding of how to solve our problems in a world that no longer believes. There are many false religions. There are many different interpretations of religion. And as we come to the uh, part in our studies on the Catholic religion, Catholic action, the lay apostolate, the government, church and state. We'd like to focus tonight or, this, uh, or today on a particular aspect of something that I have been working with since my efforts to delve into why is the church in the condition it is and what made it possible. And as I made my little diagrams and study and researching and thinking these things through, I came to a sort of a triangle or a pyramid type of a structure that was layered in four sections of the natural, body and soul, and the supernatural, faith and mysticism that leads to beatitude in heaven. Now this is not new really, but it's good to get the geography of an orientation upon which then to build the rest of the structure of understanding. And as time went on, this little triangle or pyramid grew into a cone with an exterior side and an interior side, which gave a sort of differentiation, though the structure was the same, it was an inverted kind of an understanding of the outside and the inside. So these little diagrams are helpful because as you study them, things begin to come up at you out of these things that you didn't first see. And the structure of the pyramid uh, was seen to be the nature that God had created. And the faith that overlaid it was the city of God, as St. Augustine pointed out in the year about 400. And he differentiates it from the city of man. And so we have these two cities, so to speak, side by side, or one within the other, but one oriented away from God and the other oriented to God. Now our Lord came into this world to preach the kingdom of God, the good news, the gospels, whatever way you want to put it. He came to reveal to us this structure of the supernatural that was lost to man when Adam and Eve were cast out of the garden, and their children soon fell into all kinds of aberrations and sins, and they lost this knowledge. And Christ came to bring it back to us by degrees, however. And he said, other things I have yet to say to you that you cannot bear now, but when the spirit of truth comes, he will teach you all the truth and he will recall to your minds whatever I have told you. So there is this development, this growth, this understanding that has extended itself, you might say, and by heightened contrast, we seem to see more clearly what the Gospels have been telling us all through these centuries because of the darkness of our times. It seems even the little light that we have is made even brighter because of the increasing darkness that stands out as a uh, balancing factor for our understanding. So the problem I had was looking at this little triangle, uh, is this... Uh, creation that God has made body and soul and mankind in the society? Is this evil? Or is it good? And to say it was evil 
wasn't quite right because God made it, and yet it wasn't oriented correctly either, so it wasn't good. And it, it left us a little while to sort of mellow and to try to resolve the conflict of whether the city of man is good or bad. And just recently I began to recognize that the solution to this conundrum, this difficulty, this dilemma, is that the city of man is good if it's oriented to God. Well, that's not new either. Seek first the kingdom of God and his justice and all other things will be added to you besides. So the other things be added besides are the human things that we do have that can lead us away from God, however. And this is the difficulty. You cannot serve two masters. So we have this contrast. It's in the Gospels, but it's hard to put this together in sort of a geography, a format that we can see mentally and uh, carry rather easily because things are basically simple once you get past the um, confusions, uh, the, the, the difficulties. And uh, what we want to understand about the church and state about Catholic action, National Council, uh, uh, National Catholic Welfare Council, which has been changed since Vatican Council II, to other organizations. But basically, in the past, when this book was written by Bishop Morrow, things were in the age of faith more clearly than they are today. And there was a, a divine orientation of all things. Even our mistakes, we recognize God is where he is and where we are even though we weren't obeying him or following him um, in sinfulness, but we had an orientation to God. Now, this orientation has shifted from the city of God to the city of man. Now, what do we mean by this city of man? How do we understand uh, our condition today? Because we have a churching conflict. And the conflict comes from the orientation of our leaders away from God, strange to say, to a humanism, a man-centeredness. Pope Paul went to the United Nations and said to this organization of a godless uh, people, leaders, you are the last hope of mankind. And we wonder what that statement meant. You are the last hope of mankind. And as time has gone on with Pope John Paul II and the same continuation of this man-centeredness, this orientation to the cult of man, as they speak about from time to time, only we filter it out because we're thinking in terms of a God-centeredness. And we see with incarnational theology how this shift could take place in the name of religion with a new theology, with a new understanding that all men are redeemed by the birth of Christ, Therefore, there is no need for the salvation principle that we had in the past, that man must uh, renounce sin, he must seek salvation, he must, with faith and baptism, be incorporated into the mystical body of Christ and to live the virtues of the supernatural life, which was very exclusionary for all other religions, who, for example, did not believe in Christ as the Son of God, or if they did, that they had a very simplistic idea that faith alone saves you, therefore uh, you're going to go to heaven. But with incarnational theology that everybody is saved, what is there left to do except to announce this to the world at large through dialogue, through ecumenism, through a sharing of a brotherhood uh, of each one, 
being nice to one another and on a humanitarian level, the cult of man, the dignity of man, and the uh, proposal that uh, we are all brothers and should get along together in a commonality of a single religion, a world religion. Well, there's a takeoff on all the things that God has made with the things of man. And uh, the two are intermingled, the supernatural and the natural, just as the spiritual and the physical are intermingled. You know, we are creatures composed of body and soul. You cannot see your soul, but you can see its effect by the kind of activities the body produces. Uh, we see the body, this is visible, this is material, this is immediate to us. The soul, the character, the personality, the temperance, these have to come out by the activities that are recognized by the mind and then identified in a spiritual way. Now the supernatural is above that. The revelation of God's mysteries come to us through the medium of our mind and our physical constru constructions, like these pyramids or cones or crosses or uh, three-leaf clovers, uh, all these things are at the human level, but they contain the interior essence of a supernatural revelation and mystery. And it's hard for us to grasp the mysteries because they're remote from us. And to grasp the spiritual, or should we say the supernatural, we want to keep those distinct, we must become more spiritual. We must become more spirit, a supernatural. So we must become more intellectual in the sense that uh, it's not the physical that guides us, but the spiritual, the intellectual things. Sound mind and a sound body. But the sound mind has to control the body and lead the body. Otherwise, the body will control the mind and lead it uh, as a, um, a slave or a captive uh, to the whims of the body and its appetites and desires. So we need to organize ourselves physically, spiritually, so that supernaturally God will crown these efforts with a deeper insight, understanding, and realization of the mysteries of God and the consequences thereof through faith, hope, and charity. Now, our active part of living Catholic lives is that we try to gear into this uh, mystery of revelation. It's hard because we're human, fallen human. We live in the city of man, and we're oriented to the evil. The heart of man is inclined to evil from his youth, Scripture tells us. But Christ came to call us out of this darkness, this waywardness, to the way of virtue, the way of light, to understand by responding so that the light will continue to grow more clear as we become more virtuous. So it's a reciprocal activity. The more we give, the more we get. The less we give, the less we get. So uh, with, with this construct then of the city of man, apart from God, is lost. And we're born into this city of separation from God. That's why babies who die without baptism don't go to heaven, but they don't go to hell. They go to this limbo. And maybe in the end, God will give a chance for these to choose which they finally will uh, rather be in. Because our Lord said the generation that he lived in, they have preferred the darkness to the light. And for this, they will stay in the darkness. The uh, darkness, exterior darkness, as he calls it, where there will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. But those who are invited are to be uh, ready with their candles lit, their garments worn, prepared for the Lord when he comes at any time 
faithful in their duties and to be rewarded according to what they do for him. Uh, you've been faithful in small things, you'll be given charge over other things. You've been faithful in greater things, you'll be char given charge over greater things in, as your reward. So there is this construct in the Gospels that drawn out shows us that we must come out of the city of man with its waywardness to the city of God, to the faith, hope, and charity, and to the development and the mysticism that God will enlighten us and empower us with increasing measure to becoming more and more children of God, grown up, matured, to becoming um, the saints that we are called to be. Be you perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So what, what is this city of man there for? If I were to give you an image, uh, it's very common, very simple. It would explain it rather easily, I think. Take a circle. And you know the very center of the circle is the, the center point around which the circle is drawn. Now, we can make a circle, and the definition of a circle is a line equidistant from the center, point in the center of the circle. It's simple. It's a round. But how big is it? Oh, that's the question. How big is a circle? There is no dimension until you make a circle, whatever dimension it is. But it's still the same. It's around the center. Now, if you collapse the circle to the center, what do you get? You get the point the center. And in a sense, the uh, center point doesn't exist. It's so tiny that it disappears into nothing. But if you take it the other way and expand it outward, how big does the circle get? It gets infinite as it increases towards infinity to the largest dimension possible, which is the capacity of God himself. So the city of man is really the diminution of a circle that God has made to nothingness. And the city of God is the extension of that circle to larger and larger dimensions. It is productive. It is generous. The city of man is destructive. It is selfish, self-centered. And that is the distinguishing point, that we seek ourselves rather than God, the glory of God. Or even in the service of God, we seek our own glory. Take the Pharisees, the man praying on the corner. Uh, he was praying, but he was praying to be praised by his fellow men. Human respect. This is a key issue in our lives. What will people think of me? What uh, will I suffer at the hands of those who don't agree with me? Therefore, uh, I have this intimidation of the mind to not serve the truth. First of all, not knowing the truth. Or if I find it, not serving it because I'm afraid to do so. Uh, the service of God, however, looks at God and gives to God, regardless of the cost, whatever we owe to God. And that is recognition, <coughs> obedience, love, adoration, all, all the qualities of prayer. And this is not something generated because we say words. It's an extension of the spirit out towards God, to seek God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. There's nothing selfish about that. But inclusive is also the love of your neighbor for the love of God. And if we turn it around to love our neighbor for his own sake, then we have reversed that expansion. We have contracted it, collapses 
to a humanism, a secular humanism, materialism that can never satisfy the heart of man. And you might say the city of man leads to destruction. The city of God leads to construction, to growth, development, to glory, to the fullness of what God has called us to be. So we have this direction. That's all it amounts to. It's a direction, either towards God or away from God. And if it's away from God, it's a collapsing to a point of nothingness. If it is a growth to God, then it's an expansion away from self, away from self, away from human respect, away from intimidation, with faith, hope, and charity increasing to a mysticism that God himself enlightens us with the fullness of his light and empowers us with the fullness of his strength. Whereby St. Paul says, I can do all things in him who strengthens me. And scripture tells us in other parts, especially in the Old Testament, do not put your faith in riches. Do not put your trust in princes. What does that mean? Be careful of the human factor. It's good if it's oriented to God. It's destructive if it's oriented to itself. And so when we talk about the city of God, and when we talk about Catholic activities, when we talk about the state, the state is not necessarily an enemy of the church, but with the separation of church and state, the state has gone on to the city of man. And the church can also go towards the city of man if it abandons its orientation to God. And if it doesn't call us to a holiness and a growth outward, away from our selfishness and from society as the be-all and the end-all of um, creation, uh, we will find ourselves destroyed. We uh, will grow and expand and develop and produce with the virtues of the Catholic life, which is the supernatural life of God in his grace that begins with faith and hope and is the extension, expansion of this circle of charity. The more you have, the greater charity grows. The less you have, the smaller charity shrinks. And so how big is charity? It's as big as God. And how big are you? Only to the extent that you surrender yourself um, are you limited, but you have the fullness of the adoption into the city of God, the fullness. There's no end to what you can do if you surrender to God and know him and love him and serve with all your power. Then the fallout would be that you will also love your neighbor and serve him, not for his own sake, not for your sake, but for God's sake. And we see then, when we study the, the laity, as we did last week, and the organization, organization of these new pages I've added now to the book, uh, the continuation of our studies uh, of Catholic action. Now, Catholic action can be good or bad. Uh, Catholic action involves human beings. And human beings can act for human beings' sakes, as well as for the sake of the church or for God. And so Catholic action can be good or bad. We have the intrusion of uh, laity into the work of the hierarchy, which could be a, a uh, takeover and a destruction of the work of the church in the name of humanity. It could be a good thing for the promotion of the work of the church in union with the hierarchy oriented to God and promoting the works of the faith, hope, and charity and all the virtues that are based on the grace of God and our orientation to him. So whether we study the National Catholic Welfare Council or whatever its name is today, 
and the divisions, this political uh, assembly of bishops and archbishops and cardinals and laity. Uh, we can have any number of organizations. The question is, is it of the city of man or is it of the city of God? Organization of Catholic action. That was quite popular when I was a young priest. Today it seems to have been taken over by a new spirit of Vatican Council II, as they say, and participation and extension of all the things that now find lay people doing the things of the priesthood and the priesthood doing the things of the laity. That reversed, backwards. So we have ideals and we have operations. We have organizations that could be good or could be bad. When we study the state, when we study politics, and we're into the area now of uh, voting and uh, politicizing and all that, uh, it could be good, it could be bad. All things contain within themselves the, uh, this, the potential for good or for evil. Not both at the same time, except in increasing or decreasing uh, amounts, uh, for good or for evil at the same time. So we have to therefore be careful what kind of advice we give or get, what kind of decisions we make or don't make. All of these things are based on what's my orientation? Is it towards God or is it towards man or towards myself as a human being? And if it's towards selfishness, it's going to be destructive. You can count on it. It's going to be evil. It's going to be away from God. And that orientation is to the city of man. But if it is truly based on generosity, of faith, hope, charity that is genuine will automatically lead to an increase in the growth and the development, not only of ourselves, but everything we touch, everything that we come into contact with. So as we study these uh, questions, we want to have this idea of the circle and the dot in the center. Am I proceeding towards the center shrinkage of everything to one little point, myself or mankind? Or will it be an extension seeking out, reaching out for God and the things of God, the kingdom of God and his justice and the growth and expansion that has no, no limitations? It's for you to choose. And Christ came to tell us this. Uh, do not be concerned with what you're going to eat or drink or put on. Your father will take care of that. He'll make you industrious. He'll give you common sense. He'll give you that balance that you need under the virtues of faith, hope, and charity and all the extensions of charity and the other virtues. And you will not get something for nothing. You'll give. You'll work. And you'll give more than enough because God gives it to you because you have given it to God. And the more you give to God, the more he gives back to you. It's, these are rules. These are axioms, you might say. They're incontestable. You just have to try it. So, as St. Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, then let's also walk by that Spirit. If we have the true Spirit of God in His love, if that gift of God from on high, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who will recall to our minds all the truths that Christ has told us and put them into an orientation of understanding, then... Uh, we will be the children of God. For those who do the works of God are the children of God. And those who do the works of man are the children of man. And we know they, we dwell in a twilight zone as human beings separated from God. And God calls us out of this darkness to the light by his kingdom through Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through him. 
So he is our light who calls us, talks to us, invites us, and he waits for a response. 30% gets 30%, 60% gets 60%, and 100% gets 100%. So this is the kind of faith, then, that's going to save the church. It's not going to be politics. It's not going to be organizations. It's not going to be money. It's not going to be power of groups of one kind or another. This is the city of man going around in circles and going nowhere. But to expand and go outward, to increase, and that love of God will automatically take care of the problems, will heal as the body heals when it's injured. Give it time and it will right itself. But if it continues to collapse, then there will be destruction. And there will be an end of the world, we know that. And it will be because man has rejected God. Not because God has rejected man but man will collapse to nothing. And all the things of man will dis dissolve and disintegrate. And so it is in your own lives. If you are humanistic, even though you profess being Catholic, but your works show that you are the earth earthly, your works will come to nothing. All the psychology in the world, all the medicine in the world, all the money in the world will not solve the human problem. But the poverty of spirit, the beatitudes, the mercy, the generosity, all of these things that seem to take away from you are your very life, are your very wealth, are your very growth uh, that God tells us if we just have the faith to believe it. So we must become more and more supernatural. And as we become less and less human, in a sense, reciprocally, we become more human in uh, the development of the powers God gave us potentially to be holy saints, citizens of heaven. At one time, Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Paradise. God calls us back. But at the price that we must climb to this growth, to this fullness of the city of God, out of the city of man. I want you to think about this because this does not come easily and you may think of it and forget it but if you're going to really take hold of these lessons and let them benefit you, you see it is going to ask of you something more perhaps than you have been given, giving. To say your daily prayers. Well, I've got to remember to say my morning and night prayers. Well, if you love God, you wouldn't uh, have to remember that. You would do it because you're thinking of God. And you'd pray through the day, not just morning and or night. And you would live in the presence of God not to, risi or, you know, to accumulate the sins at the end of the week now, of examination of conscience, what did I do? Every day, every minute, every hour would be a, an awareness of my service to God and my duty to God. And this is growing to this fullness. It doesn't come easily. A little child learns his early catechism, but he comes to learn more and more deeply the same truths as the years go by, and he exercises these things. He doesn't just have the Spirit of God, he lives the Spirit of God. So if we listen to what St. Paul really tells us in the construct of this city of God versus the city of man, or the circle collapsing or increasing, then we see that we must give more and more in order to receive more and more. The more we give away, the richer we become. So don't be afraid to be generous with God. Whatever your duties and your state in life are, they may be burdens. God has given this as a test to see, do you love him or are you complaining because you love yourself more? Uh, this is the obedience of Christ, obedient unto death, even to the death of the cross. And so when we look at the crucifix, you're looking at what you should be. 
crucified to the world, but alive to God. Remember, the crucifixion is followed by the resurrection, and the resurrection by the ascension, and the ascension by the glory of Christ's eternal kingship for uh, his reward, and our reward in that kingdom of Christ. So, die to self. Not my will, but thine be done. St. Paul says, with Christ I am nailed to the cross. I live, now not I, not man, but Christ lives in me, the city of God, the par excellence citizen of heaven. And to the degree I'm like him, I rise in that hierarchy of authority and reward that will be for all eternity, not just for a few years on this earth. So as we continue to study these lessons, remember it's a question of orientation, expansion or contraction to the city of man, away from the city of God or towards God and the fullness of the citizenship as Catholics in the Catholic Church, not towards a humanism but to a supernaturalism that includes the humanism oriented to God that gives it a valid um, acceptance. We're human, yes, but we're supernaturally human. If we're not supernaturally human, we're not even human. Take the world as it is. And it's growing more and more selfish, more and more wayward, and more and more destructive. We want to know how to solve the problem. And we meet in meetings, and we have conferences. We give contributions, and we write letters, and nothing's happening. Because it has to start from inside each one of us in this love of God, in the service of God. And this is um, the little grain of sand that can become very powerful because a little grain of sand in an oyster shell becomes a pearl. So whatever you are, you can become what God will make of you if you give him what you are as you are to the best of your ability, remaining a little grain of sand that God will glorify for all eternity. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost, amen.